This message was given by Brother Cronquist at the School of Prophets in Spokane, Washington on the 29th of June, 1987. We have entitled it, Presenting the Many Costs of Becoming the Image of the Son. Much revelation is given here, and it will take the revelation workings of the Holy Spirit to you to understand all that has been said. I would advise you to re-listen to the tape many times because it came not by premeditation or by outline study but by by the revelation of the Lord in Brother Cronquist's mouth as he stood and spoke. May God bless you. May God motivate you. May you understand your necessary part that you must do in order to become the fulfillment of the things that has been said. Well, Mary Bell and uh, Linda Lowry and Diane and I attended the Charismatic Ministers Conference in Oral Roberts University. It started on Tuesday afternoon and ended Thursday afternoon. And um, all, <clears throat> all of the mainline Charismatic leaders were at this conference. And the anointing started uh, with uh, Oral's first talk on Tuesday afternoon, about 3 o'clock, and it continued until Thursday afternoon. And we were floating most of the time. It was absolutely beautiful. But the thing that was exciting for us was that, that of, out of all of these leaders, each one with a different message that they have been emphasizing, and we say some of them were out of balance and all of that. When you hear them one after the other, you begin to see how they dovetail together and how it's just like a book, that each one has a chapter. And when it comes together, it makes the whole story. And the exciting thing about it was that although they didn't use exactly the same terms, they were confirming what we've been learning here with Royal all the time. And uh, they even used a few of the terms that were the same. But the reason we were so excited about it was we felt we were even a little bit step further on than some of the leaders. And the thing, the thing that impressed me most is that God has put people on this earth for a time and for a special reason. And that for some of them, this time is drawing to a close. And you can almost see that their purpose and their ministry on this earth is just about to the stage of being finished. And Earl brought this out um, as he was talking and he was explaining about what they said, what the newspaper said about the fact that God would kill him if he didn't get the money. And he said that, of course, that wasn't what he said. What he said was that the Lord had given him a job to do and that he would be taken home if he didn't get the job done, if he saw that he couldn't do the job, that his time would be finished, what, he'd done, what he had done here. And, uh, of course, it was totally misinterpreted. But in the, in the process, he was talking about laying down his mantle, and he took off his coat. And Maribel, was it Bob Tilton who was there with him? Larry Lee. Larry Lee the man who is teaching prayer throughout the United States, young man. Uh, a lot of these young men are taking over from the ones that are a little bit older. And we, we just sat there holding our breath because we thought Larry Lee was going to reach down and pick up that coat and put the mantle 
it would be transferred to him. And I, in essence, I almost believe that's what Earl had intended. But his own son was sitting there, and um, Billy Joe Doherty, the one who probably will take over the presidency of Oral Roberts, was there. And so he didn't follow through with it. But in our own spirits, we kind of sensed that that was what was to happen. But Oral said that um, he thought the time was even shorter than they had thought before, and that things were going to begin to happen in a twinkling of an eye, and that he felt that the Lord would come for him or would call him, he would join him, and then he would come back to rule and reign. And he said it's possible that he'd be ruling and reigning right there over that city of faith. Now, we could sit there and truly glory in that, tell all the story, but it did confirm what our dear brother has been teaching us, and it was very, very exciting. Praise the Lord. Isn't that fun? <clears throat> I wanted to mention again, for the sake of just getting it on the tape, about the Feast of Tabernacles. It is the, the most important event yet to happen to the church. And the Feast of Passover was honored by one man, specifically the Lord Jesus, and that opened the door for our new birth. Then the Feast of Pentecost was kept by a remnant of 120 believers. <clears throat> and that opened our door for receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when the day of tabernacles has fully come, the scripture says, and all your males, in Deuteronomy 16, 16, shall assemble before me three times in a year <clears throat> in a place that I shall choose, and they shall not appear before me empty. And then he goes on, it goes on to mention the three major feasts, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Tabernacles is the only feast that has not had a counterpart in spiritual experience. When that day is fully come, I believe that it will not only be the birth of the man-child, but it will be the tabernacling within a remnant of 144,000 believers, the Godhead. Scripture says Jesus Christ is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And to those that keep the feast, literally keep it, God chooses and are prepared by knowledge, prepared by motivation, prepared by doing the word. To me, it will mean where the Father himself will now come and take up his abode in manifestation within the human body. It will birth the prepared believers up into the realm of becoming or being the very throne of God then we'll begin to see the greater works. So in my next letter I describe the, the seven major manifestations of the Feast of Passover, or Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Unity. This will be absolute unity in a remnant of 144,000. The beginning number, the scripture in Revelation 14:4 4 calls them, this is the first fruits. There will probably be others breaking into it at later dates or days or the days following. It will be the unity that Jesus has with the Father in them. Feast of joy, feast of ingathering. I want you to hold on for your loved ones because it's going to be the greatest deluge of the ungodly coming in 
probably exceeding anything that has been in the world from the fall up to now. The Feast of Rest. There's a rest for the people to enter into. Now, this is available for whosoever will. And why they get some people get so mad at me is because I talk about an exclusive number or a remnant, a handful. God never does anything by the masses, even though I think everything is available. But it's to those who literally do overcome as he overcome and sit down with him in his throne, even as he overcame and sat down with the Father in his throne. My whole message is to, to bring a message to motivate you to be committed to doing what you have to do in, in, in not only the Word, but in, in every relationship so that Jesus Christ can form the fullness of himself in you where you can come to the birth of his full measure. And it, it will then begin the greater works. We haven't even come to the equal works, let alone the greater works. Next year, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, I think it starts in September the 26th through probably October the 4th. I'd like you to pray about, if you take any time off, take that time off. If it is not the, the fullness of Tabernacles next year, then it can't be very far off. One, two, three more four more at the outside, five more years. Once that starts, it will mean many things. It will mean the, the full establishing of the tribulation period. It will be the final complete opening of the first seal, which will give release to the first trumpet angel. The trumpet is always a message, which will sound like the first thunder that John in Patmos was told to not write what he heard, which will also give release to the first vile judgment. Now, I don't have it from the Lord, but I'm assuming that approximately every six months after that will be another seal, the second seal, the third seal, the fourth seal, fifth seal, sixth seal, seventh seal, until we're three years into the tribulation and the seventh angel will begin to sound because the seventh seal has been opened. And it will sound like the seventh thunder and will also give vent or release to the seventh vile judgment. Now, when the first seal is open and the first trumpet messenger begins to sound, and, the first, and it will sound, it'll have a thunderous effect to it, which will give release to the first vile judgment. They will, it will not, can, it will not cease to sound or cease to manifest when the second seal and trumpet and thunder and vile judgment is given. It will just be doubled and then tripled and then quadrupled and then uh, sink, uh, what's five, sink, five, what's five? Quintupled and sextupled and septupled. So things will unfold very, very fast then. And in my next letter, I explain some of the effects of the beginning of this feast. It's not optional. It's imperative that 
that you become a prepared people. His bride has prepared herself something that she has done. Now, also in John 15, 5, he says, apart from me, you can't do nothing. Where the sovereignty of God is necessary to aid us to become finished, and where our initiative must lay hold of that sovereignty, I don't know. But I don't want to be a person waiting around, hoping in a trust that is not being tested by God. Do you understand that term? In a, everybody says, well, trust in God. Well, that's fine, but if you're trusting in God by mental consent, when the tests come and you're walking in mind dominance, your trust will fail you. You cannot assume that God will keep you in that trust if it's not validly executed from your spirit. Am I making sense? I have a message that I preached in the Feast of Tabernacles last year. What is this term called trust? You ought to get a hold of it. It may be in this list here. It was, it was shocking to me. I'd never heard anybody preach on it. It came to me by revelation. It was then I began, uh, began to find out that, that the Bible commands for a man not even to trust his spouse. Did you know that? They're to only trust God. And there's a lot of hurt in humanity because we do trust people. We trust brothers and sisters in Christ. We trust our husbands or our wives and, and things like this. But we find that trusts are breaking all, broken all the time. So the trust that you must have that God will approve of is that that trust is equal to executing or manifesting faith. So that your trust becomes the very substance of his provision when all hell is being turned loose. Am I making sense to you? And that's what the Feast of Tabernacles is all about. Of all gatherings together, even what you ladies have just, what Martha just shared, very unimportant, insignificant to the keeping of the Feast of Tabernacles. It is the, it is the final manifestation of God as the Godhead incarnate in man. What does it mean? It means that if you are prepared by knowledge and by motivation, by commitment, by dedication, and by doing what you must do, then you will become the fullness of the Godhead bodily like unto Jesus. Isn't that exciting? It, in the tabernacle of Moses, all born-again people are the outer court people. All people who receive the Holy Spirit are the holy place people. Even though the veil had been removed for 2,000 years, no one has ever entered into the Holy of Holies. So the Feast of Tabernacles means it, you will become the little experience of the holiness of God incarnate in you. Isn't that exciting? And you will fulfill the scripture, you are as holy as he is holy. You will fulfill the scripture, you are perfect even as your Heavenly Father in Heaven is perfect. Now, isn't that exciting? And so, uh, the, the great fallacy of what I feel that is in preaching is, <clears throat> is that the wonderful things that they're saying of faith is obtained by confession or name it and claim it. Just for example, 
one of the popular movies say, you are the righteousness of God. Well, that's true and not true. Jesus Christ has made to you righteousness. And in your spirit alone, you are righteousness of God. But see, there has to be a sanctifying work by which that righteousness of Christ Jesus in your spirit begins to also turn your soul life in its entirety into his righteousness, where ultimately it even affects your physical body. So you are, we are the righteousness of God, but God will not accept that as being adequate. He will only accept where his righteousness is not only incarnated in your spirit, but incarnate in your soul through and through, and, in, and, and also your body. That means that you break from mortality to incorruptible life, from incorruptible life to immortal glorified life. We don't know of anybody that's even near this. In fact, you've heard me preach enough now that we don't know of anybody that really has, has ever fulfilled the scripture. You are to grow up into Christ Jesus in all aspects. We don't know of any leader near it. We certainly don't know of anybody that's ever allowed God through the Holy Spirit to conform you to the literal, absolute image of the Son. And yet, that scripture will have to be fulfilled in a remnant. The Day of Tabernacles will open the door for that. It will not happen to people who do not keep that day, or those days. It's eight days, seven days, really. Eight day refers to the eighth day, eighth thousand year, which goes on beyond the millennium reign. This is why, to me, it's a revelation. I, I would not be anywhere else but where the saints are assembling and where God has chosen any day of the year except at the Feast of Tabernacles. The only thing that would keep me short of that would be the morgue. It means, it means that at least I'm presenting myself to the Father to incarnate me where I can become the Godhead. And if I'm not there in those days, then I will not be able to be a recipient of that. Does that make sense? He does not bypass his, his rules. I'm the Lord and I change not. When you know his rules or when you know his habits or his patterns, they're always the same. If Jesus had not kept the literal Hebrew feast day of Passover, we would not have our new birth experience. If the 120 had not kept the literal feast of Pentecost day, we would not have the experience of receiving the Holy Spirit. And to every believer who does not keep the literal Feast of Tabernacle Day, they will not be in a position to receive that incarnation of the Godhead. Am I making sense? It needs to be a revelation to you. I know of, I know of men that have kept the feast for years and they've withdrawn from it and it's no longer a revelation to them. That scares me or bothers me because it's the same thing that happened to John the Baptist when Jesus appeared at the River Jordan. He said, the Spirit told me that whom I see the Spirit descending upon remaining, that is the Son of God. Later on, when he was in, Philip, in the prison there because of Herod, he sent a couple of disciples to Jesus. He said, are you the one? He'd lost the revelation. It cost him his head. Now, if you... If you look at some of the parables, 
I told you that the outer court represents all the born-again people. The holy place represents all the people who have received the Holy Spirit. But if you look in Matthew 25, all the Spirit-filled people were asleep. Only five of them had enough oil in them when the bridegroom came, which shows that one half of the all Spirit-filled people will be thrust out into the outer court experience. They will be included in the outer court experience because they've allowed their Spirit-filled life to become dormant. Does that make sense? Now, what about the over half? See, I believe I know the numbers. And I don't know whether that's pertinent to me say say that here, but they will be included in the outer court people. Over half the outer court people will fall away from the faith at the, at the beginning of the tribulation. And later they will be killed with the judgments and the ungodly. Does that make sense? But all the other half of the outer court people will only be saved by some premature destruction, either murdered or floods or fires or along with the judgments of the God, by maintaining their testimony. Does that make sense? Now, I'm going, I'm throwing out revelation to you awful fast here, and you may not comprehend it. To me, it's so clear and so simple. I'm amazed when people, they, they struggle to understand, but when God gives revelation, there's no struggle. My whole message is to invite you to the throne. My whole message is to give you understanding to invite you to the birth of the man-child, which will be the throne. She gave birth to a man-child who was caught up to the throne of God. Now, the throne of God is not some place out there. The throne of God is right here in you. You will become the very throne of God. My whole message is to invite you into, to be prepared to enter into the Holy of Holies to be properly prepared by knowledge, to be properly prepared by motivation and commitment. Now, by 1992, there will be 1,800,000,000 Christians on the face of the earth. The scripture is very clear <clears throat> that the inheritance of that 1,800,000,000 will be divided up into three groups, or one-third, each. One third of that one billion eight hundred million is six hundred million will be the woman who goes into the wilderness area there to be nourished for the three and a half years during the tribulation period. The other two thirds will be the outer court people. But one half of the two thirds, which is one third, will take the mark of the beast in order to buy and to sell and they will later be killed with the ungodly in their judgments. But the sad thing is, it would have been better for them never to have known the Lord than to have turned from it. Does that make sense? By the compromising of, the, now the other third, they will be killed too. Two-thirds of the Christians will be killed. One-third will, one-third or one-half of the two-thirds will take the mark of the beast and get caught up with the judgments of the ungodly, but their inheritance will be more severe 
then they're godly or ungodly. Does that make sense? It'd been better for them never to know the way of rising than to turn from it. But the other half or the other third, which is 600 million, will be killed in many forms by murder, by floods and fires and, and uh, storms and things like this. Is this all right, me sharing these things with you? You don't hear these things being taught. And the pastors don't want the people in the churches to hear them. They want them to become comfortable. Because, you see, things like this scares people. Well, the scripture says, some you save by fear. Fear is healthy if it motivates you properly. But if people have fear and they don't know how to be motivated or how to be committed to action, then their fear will be nothing but confusion. Does that make sense? And I believe that I'm one seer that has answers to the horrible things that's coming. I believe that I am. I don't believe I'm the only one because I'm encouraged by Martha and things that she shared with me, how these leaders in the charismatic movement, they were they was confirming again and again in various terms and sometimes similar terms or identical terms of the things that I've been teaching. Because I believe this, that I may have been a forerunner, a trailblazer of truths that has not generally been accepted by the, the great whore of Babylon. Now, who's that? We're all part of that unless we reach into perfection. Do you understand that? You can't blame the Catholic Church. The, the, all the Protestant movements are other deviations of the great whore. And when we, when we look in Isaiah 4, you see, for years I often wondered that. Now, I guess I'm not going to get into this tonight, what I wanted to get into. Isaiah 4, just look at this a little bit. You can read the whole chapter if you want. For seven women will take a hold of one man in that day, saying, We will eat our own doctrines and wear our own robes of righteousness. But let us be called by your nature. Take away our reproach. And you know who this one man is? This one man is the man-child. This man-child of Revelation 12, 5, that's the one. They're going to say to the man-child, well, We'll, we'll stick to our doctrines. We'll be clothed with our truths. But let us be identified. Let us be clothed with your nature and take away our reproach. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Now, I didn't know that until just this year sometime. And when I know things, I don't know just when I know things. I just know things. Just like I shared with you of the church, two-thirds of the church, or the church one billion, eight hundred million divided into three is six, three groups of six hundred million. Six hundred million will be the woman that goes into the wilderness, Revelation uh, uh, 12, 14, and 16. And six hundred million will fall away from the faith, be killed with the ungodly. But another six hundred million will be prematurely killed because they have so little of God in their experience that God cannot keep them. Does that make sense? They'll be saved by maintaining their testimony only through some form of death. But my message is to the body of Christ, to whosoever will can have a relationship with Jesus Christ 
so that Jesus Christ can form the measure of the stature of the fullness of himself in their spirit, soul, and body and become the incarnation of the Godhead bodily, fulfilling the scripture as he is, so are we in this world. That's a mind-boggling statement. You have a... Yes, Mary Bell, you... Let me, let me get over here by you. For seven women, now these seven women are the seven major evangelical movements of the body of Christ. The modern movement, the fundamental movement, the Pentecostal movement, the latter rain movement, the charismatic movement, the word of faith movement, and the sons of God movement. Now they won't like hearing this. But I could say that as sure as Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ, I know that that's true because he's told that to me. Now, you see, and you can see how that would offend them. Will they be able to have what they're asking for here? <clears throat> well, see, in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth will be the pride and the adornment of the survivors of Israel. The survivors of Israel be, will be also the saviors that come up on Mount Zion. The saviors that come on Mount Zion in Obadiah 21 are the same 144,000 that stand on Mount Zion in Revelation 14.1 with, with Jesus. So verse 2 is referring to the man-child again, the survivors of Israel. And it will come about that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded for life in Jerusalem, Revelation 14.6. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and purge the bloodshed of Jerusalem from her midst, the daughters of Zion will come to be that 600 million who come out of the movements into the union of the man-child to be kept and nourished. Do you understand? So, my, my, my whole purpose, <laughs> and now the spirit of travail is on me again, nobody wants to hear these things. They want to say, they hear, God loves you, he, he, he's going to take care of you, just trust in God, just hope in God. Somebody should have told that to the millions of Christians that was killed under Stalin. The millions that was killed under Mao Tse-Sung. And that's not counting the millions of the Crusaders and, and down through the centuries since, since the cross, of the millions that has been, and yet we're, we're, we're going to see, when, when this is finished, when it's all finished, only one-tenth of humanity will remain on the face of the earth. Isaiah 6.13 or 6.13 says, and only one-tenth shall remain, and there shall be the holy seed. Who is the one-tenth? It's that 600 million who goes into the wilderness. One-tenth of the total population, because by 1992 there will be six billion people on the face of the earth, and one-tenth is 600 million. All the numbers are matching. Are you listening? Now, I, I haven't got this from man, I've got it by Jesus Christ. But I'm not putting it out in an intimidating way, say, this is absolute. I would like to be wrong. I'm afraid that I'm not. Yeah, you can imagine how many want to, want to hear this. Every place that I've been going, I've been asking, not only schools of prophets, but congregations, especially where I feel that pastors will give me permission. I don't come in and say, bless God, I'm going to say what God tells me to say. I don't care what anybody says. I don't say anything unless I have the blessing of the local leadership. Does that make sense? In the schools of prophets, I take a liberty because I am the leadership. 
and uh, but in uh, in churches I don't. But I've been going in churches after talking with the pastors a while, sharing with them. I've been asking the congregations. I said, now let me create a theoretical story for you. No one is preparing them. You will not hear it in all the popular movements. You'll not hear what they need to hear. Like Martha said tonight, that they're giving in terms, similar terms, identical terms, confirmation of the things I'm saying, although they're not, they're not saying it in the depth that I'm saying it. Well, I don't know about that because to me what I say is very simple. But you have to understand, God cannot violate his own laws. He says in Luke 13, 24, I want you to strive to enter the narrow gate. For many will try, but only a handful will make it. The handful is the remnant. The remnant is the 144,000. The 144,000 is the manifested sons of God. They get angry at me because I talk about this exclusivity, and yet the exclusivity is very clear. Uh, Romans 9. 27 says, only a remnant shall be saved. Romans 11, and all Israel, all the church shall be saved, but only a remnant shall be saved absolutely immune. The man-child will be a people that's so invincibly immune, they will be absolutely indestructible as God himself. I'm inviting you to this place. I'm inviting you by knowledge, by commitment, by dedication, by action on what to believe and what to do and how to do it so that the Father through the Son and the Holy Spirit can literally complete himself through and through in you where you will become this invincible immunity thereby being absolutely indestructible as God. Am I making sense? The way it's being preached everybody's going to be kept. Everybody's going to enter into the same inheritance. You, you will determine the quality of your inheritance by your commitment to mix faith with what you hear. But if you haven't heard enough correctly, even though you're committed to mix faith with it, you cannot mix faith what has not been heard but should have been heard. Am I making sense? But I've been going in churches after talking with the pastors a while, sharing with them. I've been asking the congregations, I said, now, let me create a theoretical story for you. Let's say that in one year's time, every one of you had to face dying by maintaining your testimony. Or, if you was properly prepared by knowledge and motivation and commitment and action, you could survive alive. And these people said, now, would you rather me not say these scary things and let one year from today sneak up on you unaware when you have to decide that you are going to have to maintain your testimony in order to stay alive or uh, uh, maintain your testimony through some sort of death? Or if you renege on your testimony, you'll stay alive a little bit longer and be killed later. Would you rather me not say anything or would you rather me uh, where that day sneak, would you rather than me not say anything where that day sneaks up on you and you have to face it with faith and panic? Who's going to win? I guarantee you panic will win. Or would you rather be 
day by day, time by time with me being with you, tell you not only about the awful things that's coming, but the glorious things that's available, and teach you what to believe in the glorious things, and how, what to do, and how to do it, so that you are so properly prepared that when that day comes, the Father himself will so quicken you, become immutably indestructible. Without hands, everybody wants to know now. You know who's shielding them? The pastors. And there are some apostles and some prophets, some teachers. I went into a, a conference of a thousand ministries and they started asking around what their goals was for their church. Their, and their goals was to make the people as comfortable in Christ as possible. Do you know what that's doing to them? That's putting them into a, uh, a passive state of a pseudo-trust that God cannot honor. Are you listening to me? And therefore, I'm committed. I'm committed to forerun what I'm saying in the face of all adversity. Appealing to brethren on my left hand and my right hand to open their hearts to hear what Jesus is wanting to say because he's not willing that any should perish physically or salvationally if that's a good word. He's all that he's he's willing that all should grow up into Christ Jesus in all aspects. He's willing that all should be conformed to the image of his son. He's willing that that all should come to a place where the Holy Spirit can guide them into all truth. And because the body of Christ in general and its leaderships in general in Mass say has not received the apostles of the kingdom. And even the apostles of the kingdom, I'm one, I believe, but I'm not enough. I only have a part that is necessary. This is why you don't need me. You need the message. But there's other messengers out there in the body of Christ that have other parts, details, degrees to add to or complement what I'm saying so that you can be exposed to the whole truth, so the Holy Spirit can guide you into all truth. But you won't find this happening by men doing their thing. I think that the charismatic movement and the Florida faith movement and, and, and at least are attempting some sort of unity. But those two movements alone only have about, well, I couldn't put it in percentage. They don't have enough. It's dangerous for me to assume that really, I, I really got the message. It's dangerous for me or for any movement to presume that all those associated brothers and sisters in leadership, that they have the message. She said, other sheep I have who must become one flock. There's other movements that they need to open, the charismatic movement, and the faith movement needs to open up to the Sons of God movement. And the Sons of God movement need to open up to all the other movements so that we can become one body, one faith, and one doctrine. <clears throat> I suspect that this sort of absolute unity that is required, I'm talking about unity of spirit now. Unity of spirit is not the necessity of agreement in doctrine. Unity of spirit is an essence of divine quality that is wrought by God 
in brothers and sisters in leadership that exists between the Father and the Son presently. It's a quality of spirit. It's something that cannot be attained by learning. It's something that cannot be brought, brought to by human willpower or by even heart agreement. It's something that you must realize that apart from my absolute unity with him, he cannot form the absolute unity of himself in me, but in my absolute unity of, with him, I must look at you and relate to you as though you are him, regardless of whether I in my mind think you have anything or not. Does that make sense? Receiving one another, even as Christ has received you unto the glory of God. And to receive one another like that, you can't willpower it. God has got to give you grace to do it. I don't know of a man that I've ever rejected except those that have, have been exposed in sin and have refused to repent. But thousands of leaders have rejected me. And you have, to, you have to learn how to not let it get to you. You have to learn how to remain sweet and kind. The more pure you become in Christ, the more lonely it's going to be. Do you understand what I've said? But your loneliness is satisfied only in your awareness of Him. Loneliness is a... There's a spirit of loneliness, which is demonic, but human loneliness is a soulish uh, factor. It's a, it's a mind or emotional factor. And Satan can enhance that and, and give you great torment. And your loneliness will continue unless you learn how to be progressively intimate with Jesus. And the more intimate you become with Jesus, the more suffering your soul is going to suffer in loneliness for affection from others on human plane. I don't know if I'm explaining what I'm saying to you. I know this by my experience. As I'm walking on with God and as, I'm, as I, I hope that I'm really experiencing Him, I, I, I have to literally bring my emotions into captivity and have a relationship of reality, of intimacy with Jesus, so that He becomes the only satisfaction. I cannot find satisfaction from any human being in the earth anymore. Do you understand that? And I'm a struggle, a struggle to, to want to be in it with Him and want to be intimate with loved ones. Please turn this tape over to the other side for the conclusion of the message. And yet, if they don't walk with the same degree of motivation me as I am to him, then you see, no matter how we relate, it's falling short of being real. There's only reality with him. Sense. So the more pure you become, the more Christ-like you become, the more in Christ that you become. This is why Jesus said a prophet has no honor in his own household or among his own kin. And you have to find a way to, 
to stay divinely sweet and Christ-like when your own loved ones are becoming your enemies, even though they're Christians. Does that make sense? Are you ready for this? I'm talking to you about the Christ, the, the, the cost of the image of the Son. I'm talking to you about the prize of being invincibly immune and indestructible. I'm talking about the prize of being absolute spirit, soul, and body like Jesus. I'm talking about there's a terrible price. That means all of you has got to be denied to gain all of him in your experience. And when you have become totally denied and he has become totally experienced in you, he will have become God through and through. Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, 28, where God has become all in all. I'm weighing my words very carefully because I, I would like to say things that would so shock you, you couldn't handle it. And I've already said things that if, if you're too strong in your reasoning intellect, you'll turn away from what I've said. Can you imagine what it means to grow up into Christ Jesus in all aspects, fulfilling as he is? So are we in this world. Can you imagine when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and he said the Holy Spirit is to guide you into being all truth. Can you imagine what it would be to be the absolute image, likeness, fullness, completeness of the Son? No difference, except he now has become your head. You've lost yours. This then will be Christ in you, the reality of glory. Willpower will never attain this, even you who are sitting here tonight. You couldn't even come here. You couldn't come here if a father hadn't drawn you. But even though he's drawing you, will you allow him to keep you? But to keep you, you'll have to die to yourself. And he will not impose upon your choice of losing, except a man lose himself. He cannot find Zoe life. You will have to make a choice of denying yourself or losing yourself. When you make it from your heart, then right away he superimposes himself where you've made that decision. And that part you become him. Now I'm not saying that I, Ra Kronquist, am going to be God. What I am saying that Rob Cronquist is going to be displaced with God. Do you understand that? And God is going to, to manifest himself through the sanctified, righteous character manifestations of Rob Cronquist as God. But it won't be Rob anymore. It'll be God. It'll be Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you understand that? Can you understand that God has made the prize of such a quality of thing that human ingenuity and skill or desire cannot attain it? You will only attain it 
if you will allow him to do it to you. You see, and we feed on each other. We feed on our wives. We feed on our children. We feed on, we even feed on the Word. But do we know how to feed on Him? Do we know how to feed on Him? My message is ever deepening now on how to feed on Him. And this is what, what I'm going to be getting into. I want to share with you a, a vision that I had. There's a night vision. In 1985, I think it was, I had come back from the Hawaii, the Feast of Tabernacles. It was in that feast that I was preaching underneath the tent. And of course, you can look out the back of the tent because it's wide open. And on over the hills of the beautiful hills, Paradise Hills, the Hawaiian mountains, I saw Jesus coming down and he lit on the ground right in the back of the tent and walked up the aisle and walked into me. And the message that I preached, he preached out from me as though he was himself. When I finished, when he finished talking, I, all of a sudden I found myself on the ground, prostrate, and I was crying. Then I heard all kinds of racket, and so I got up to see what was going on in the chairs, which it sounded like the people were throwing chairs at each other. Here, something was picking them up physically and throwing the people on. The, they weren't falling down; they were being picked up and thrown down horizontally. The whole tent of people was slain on the ground, not because they fell over, but because the Spirit of God picked them up and slayed them there. <laughs> and in that slaying, the chairs got kicked out of the way. I come home from that feast into uh, Modesto, which was then my home church there, but now it's changed to Glendale. And I had a night vision. I, woke in, I had waken up in the night. And I looked up in the spirit and I saw a whole army, rank, perfect rank, the way they was really lined up, row after row, of beautiful white stallions with identical soldiers, identical size, all covered with silver armor from the tip of their toes to the top of their head. Like, you know, when you saw the knights of old and they would have their glorious silver, bright, shining armor, so bright you know, the reflection is just almost blinding. Then the scene changed and I saw another white stallion with another soldier dressed identically as the ones of all the soldiers beneath. There was one difference. Draped over the side of this horse was Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the Word of God. And as he began to move, the whole army moved, exactly as he moved. Whatever way he moved, they moved exactly at the same day and say it was just absolutely beautiful to watch. They never knew what retreat was. They went conquering and conquering and conquering. Then the scene changed and I saw a huge... Uh, do you know what a white-faced Hereford bull looks like? You know what a white-faced cow or a beef cow looked like? Well, the bulls are beautiful animals. And, but they were, he was iridescent. And I don't know how to explain it. It's very hard to talk about spiritual things, but although I could see his red body and his white face, this, this bull passed through that whole army. You know, just like he was looking through a glass or, that he was transparent. You see the army, and he just passed through. And I said, Lord, what is this? And I said, the burden of the Lord. And the, the head, or the white face, was the 
face or the, the, the righteousness of the saints in the face of Jesus Christ with the burden of the Lord. Then the scene changed, and I saw an arm come down out of heaven with a finger, forefinger pointing out line, reached inside of me and etched a message on the tablets of my spirit. I don't know what the message is. This last month, when I was in the East Coast, it was a tremendous time, especially in the schools of prophets. The Lord let me see myself and how, how dumb I am and how little I know. I've been crying, so Lord, I like to see myself as I really am. I was kind of embarrassed. I wasn't, I wasn't condemned, but I was embarrassed with, with godly shame. You know, the scripture says, knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. We know nothing yet that we ought to know. And then the word of the Lord came to me, a frame word said, this year will be my greatest year in receiving understanding and presenting clarity of truth that I've never known. Isn't that exciting? I suspect in these days ahead and the days that I, times I'll be with you and when I travel around the nation to various schools of prophets, I think that the secrets of meditation is part of that message. That's what this is all about. We've never found a people that has ever really known what it is to live and walk in spirit like Jesus. And there is a salvation that is to be revealed in the last time. I hope that God is graceful to me to let me live to walk in what I'm preaching and teaching. Just this last year, I began to see other men and women picking up on the message, and Martha brought it tonight, that the charismatic movement is saying similar, identical things, maybe not in the depth that I'm saying. Because I believe this, the principle that if God, if I'm really saying something true, I'm not the only man that he's going to give it to. He's in the habit of, of diffusing his message or his truths through many members. In, in, in degrees of presentation so that everybody can understand because not all understand me. They need others to say it in different ways and yet say similar identical things. Do you understand what I'm saying? What I say is so clear and so simple to me. I marvel at people who say, well, I, I didn't understand the thing you said, but it was sure good. But I'm also aware the reason why they say it is because the, Spirit-filled believers do not know how mind-dominant they are. They don't know how, how suppressed and imprisoned their spirit is, even though they talk in tongues. And we don't know what to do about it. But I suspect that, I really feel that one of the keys that's going to open up to us is, is these secrets and these techniques of meditation that I'm going to be teaching. Because here we stand on the threshold of the end, or the threshold of the kingdom, the closing of this age, which is going to be cataclysmic, that 
night vision over there describes part of it that I had in May, May the 12th, I think. I cried back to God in the vision and said, Oh, alas, Lord, isn't anybody going to be saved? And I won't talk about it now. You'll have to get it and read it. This city needs to be met with God. If you're going to be, believe this message, you're going to bear the chain of it, the cost of it. Are you ready for that? Are you sure you're ready for it? As much as you can, say yes. Because can you imagine what it's going to be like to be literally, absolutely like Jesus? Where there's no more room for improvement? Can you imagine what that'd be like? Where in the most adverse, severe crisis of situation, you are invincibly indestructible or invincibly non-reactionary. Why? Because there's no more of you left. He has become filled up in you through and through. There, even though He's God in human form, with Him incarnating Himself through and through, you will be Him reproduced in human form, although He will always be head. And He, although He has His corporeal singular body, He will always be head. Do you understand that? But the body will be the expression of the head to the absolute degree that there will be no difference. Isn't that good news? There has to be a way, because here we are 1987 years and, and we don't know of anybody that has ever become near the, the reduplication of this. I think its emphasis of winning the ungodly to get saved is great. But there needs to be equal emphasis to get the saved to become conformed to the image of his son. And most people think they're doing that. But you get around me, I have apostles and prophets come up and tell me, say, boy, I listen to you and I don't even think I hardly got saved. And yet to me it's so simple and it's so pure and so wonderful. If you'll take note how much I exalt, how much I lift up Jesus to the people. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And you know what's going to happen if you're drawn to him properly and if you co cooperate correctly? He's going to appear in you. He's going to appear in you so completely that even though you look like you are, it'll be Jesus 100%. Isn't that exciting? To me, that's good news. To me, what does the scripture says? What is man that thou art mindful of him? That God would, would have the, the audacity to believe that he, he can find somebody in the earth to let him form all of himself through and through in you, where he's become himself in you. <laughs> you see, in this last week I made up the chart of God's great week, which is 42,000 years long. And we're only 6,000 years into the first 42,000 years. 
the Bible is very clear and got scripture for it that God is going to deal with man for for a thousand generations and one generation is 40 years so a thousand times 40 is 40,000 years plus the 2,000 years from Ad, from the fall of Adam to Abraham so it's 42,000 years isn't that exciting and we think we know anything we don't know nothing yet as we ought to know but I, I would like to know him I would like to be like him I want to I want to give myself to the sacrificing of every interest, every pleasure, every leisure, every comfort, every good relationship. I want to sacrifice that. That's gratifying to behold Him. While beholding Him, I will be changed into His image from glory to glory by the power working the Holy Spirit. And that's not an intellectual ability. That's only a spirit ability. So you've got to bring your intellect, your mind, to stillness. Be still, Psalms 46.10. Be still so that you can experientially know or be like God. Can you receive that kind of a statement? So you can know Him. I want to stress again, I'm not saying that you individually, you as a, as a you know yourself. There's royal and as you know royal. Royal is never going to be God. Jesus Christ is God. And He's going to be God in royal, I hope, if I let Him. He won't bypass my ignorance to do it. He will not usurp a control and a domination over me to make sure He gets it done. He leaves the choice to me to you, but if I don't know what choices to make, he still will not overrule my lack of ignorance or my magnitude of ignorance. Do you understand? This is why Paul prayed in Ephesians 1.17 that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation workings and the knowledge of Christ Jesus, that he would enlighten the eyes of our heart with understanding. Not your mind, but your heart. Guard your heart. for. Out of it come all the issues, all the beginnings, or all the endings of life. Jesus appeared to me and he said, The guarding of your heart is not your work, but it's my work. Therefore abide in my presence so that I can work, or so that I can guard your heart. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough willpower. I'm not, uh, I'm not brilliant enough to be capable of guiding my heart, because the heart is the hidden man. He said, but if you'll abide in my presence, then I'll guard your heart. I'll keep you. Now, we know we can assume by faith that we're all in his presence. But you see, to have an awareness of that presence, to have a conscious awareness of that presence manifested, is what I think that you need to grow into. And I really believe that the secrets, the techniques of mechanics, the methods, the disciplines, the choices of meditation that I'm going to teach are going to teach you what to do. Teach you not only what to do, but how to do it so that you break into that realm of seeing Jesus as He is. This is the will of the Father that has sent me, that everyone who sees the Son I'll raise him up on the last day. Last day is a bad word. It's translated from the Greek word hemera. 
The Himera means an undefined length of period of time that is conditional upon your choice. We've had choices that have not been made for 1987 years because nobody has been raised up like him. It's conditional upon your choice. The time is even conditional. You want to put it off to some day when there, his determined time is fulfilled? Yes. Or how about today? If you want to make the choice today to do the work of beholding him, of seeing him, he'll raise you up as he is today. Isn't that exciting? So I want you to understand it's not how much learning of doctrine, of revelation, how much types and shadows you know. It's how intimate you can become with him. And to become intimate with him is the action of meditation. Are you understanding that? It's the work that you do, but it has to be done correctly. It has to be done according to divine laws. Be still, so that you can experientially know God. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary and walk and not faint. Nobody's ever fulfilled that. Do you realize what that means? That means that you won't know weakness. You won't know, oh, you can run and there, it won't even have to be panting. Why? Because there'll be so much of Jesus in you that as he is, so are you in this world. And you can't wear him out. And you can't wear him down. You see, right now I'm personally having a terrible struggle to break into this realm. And I'm, I suspect that I'm, I'm bombarding thrones of Satan that's been lodged between the body of Christ and the Lord Jesus for, for centuries, maybe since the fall. That if we can break into this, then he's going to be bound for a thousand years. And this age is going to be complete. The church is going to become perfect. And Jesus is going to return for his perfect church, or return to his church. For a per that a church that is perfect. You can be perfect while beholding Him. He'll change you into that perfection. But you got to do the beholding. you got to do the work of it. Now, I want to encourage you. I go right back to the seven points again. Really consider of, of tithing your day. And I think you would be very wise to... to let's say three-hour day. Two hours and 24 minutes is really a tithe day. But if you want to do it in round figures, say, uh, how much is 40? 200 220 divided by three is what? 70 minutes? A little plus, 70-some 70, 70 minutes. No, it ain't either. 200 and... How much is 240 minutes? 240 80. Uh, 80 minutes? Well, if you divide 240, which 240 would be your time. 224. Because it's a tenth, see, a tenth of 24 hours is two, is, uh, two, two. Well, you, you get it up in minutes, it's 224 minutes, or two hours and 40 minutes, or two hours and 24 minutes. Never mind. Well, let's, let's, we don't want to get off the, off the anointing. But let's say round figures, per se, that you tithe one hour to pray. You tithe another hour to practice His presence. 
Now, I think you'd be very making a big mistake if you do the work of practicing his presence before you do the praying and before you do the reading. Why do I say that? I'm only speaking out of my own experience, and I could be wrong. It's your praying life that builds the anointing in your life or upon your life. And then it's the anointing that quickens the word to you. And it's the anointing that helps you to bring your own mind to stillness so that you break into the absolute awareness of Him. But if you do it the other way around, you try to, to do the meditating first, there's no anointing on your life. There's no help of God with you. And if there's no help on... Now, I'm preaching to you, teaching to you by revelation. I don't think I've even thought... There's no help of God with it. If you do that, then you see your mind will be passive and your your passivity will open a door to become depressed by the princes of the powers of the air and the air around us. Do you understand? Therefore, let's do it correctly now. Let's, let's have a praying life that builds the anointing in our life and let us study so that when we, when we do hear in the realm of spirit that what we've studied can evaluate it to see whether it's from God or not. Does that make sense? The reason why I say that, along with all this, uh, I don't know if I ever get into these teachings, along with all this, you sure you're going to know, have to know more about discerning the spirits. You're going to have to know how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit so that you do become discerning of spirits. Along with this is you're going to have to know how to try the spirits. Try the spirits is to interrogate them. And you can't interrogate a spirit until you realize a spirit is talking to you. I'll give you a little example. On the East Coast, there was a young man, oh, he's about 30, the apostle that had brought him back there and set up the itinerary of all the schools and stuff that I had. I was preaching in a Catholic church. And there was, when I talked about the spirit world, this woman, she must have been about 50, she got up and run out. Well, this young man later went out to get a book out of, the, out of the car, and his car was right next to her, and so she gave him her tale of woe. Well, see, he isn't matured, he didn't know discerning his spirits or anything like this. And he went back in, and she came in and stood on the outside of the meeting room. It was in the rectory or someplace. Is the rectory, that's not the sanctuary, the rectory is where they have meetings or something. Where what? Oh, it ain't the rectory then, it's just a teaching room. Okay. So, while I was preaching, he happened to go out and he saw her standing there and she said, oh, I, I, my head hurts and I can't see and I got to go to the bathroom. See, so he takes her downstairs into the ladies' room, there's a kindness out of his heart, and puts her into the little stool there and closes the door and walks out. And he goes into the men's room. When he hears her flush the toilet, gives her time to get decent, then he goes back in, knocks on the door, see if he can help her out because she was her head was hurting so much. And so Harry made her met her outside the toilet, and she said, "Oh, my head hurts." So he laid his hand on her. When he laid his hand on her, the devil's in her threw her to the ground. Blood curdling screams came out of her that we could hear all the way up the stairs into the meeting room. <laughs> Here she was, 50 years old blood curdling scream trying to bite his leg well here he is because he don't know that this is devils he's going shh, shh, be quiet and it was the devil screaming at her and there was you could imagine to me if you ought to see this guy because he's a little frail fellow you know 
in here this woman was fairly good sized and man one big bite and her, his leg would have been gone and he's trying to quiet her by shh be quiet and, uh, and then he realized that what was happening that if he got caught in that lady's room with that woman screaming and wiggling on the floor trying to bite his leg he's going to get charged with rape <laughs> so he says he thought feet don't fail me now <laughs> so he runs out and runs into the apostle the other apostle and she said he was white as a sheet she says you better go upstairs he says yeah <laughs> a third of the people run out of the meeting to down to see what was going on it was, i mean it was terrible so i said i don't want any more leaving i said they'll take care of that but you see here this young man has been in christ for at least 10 years and he did not discern that a spirit was screaming. Now, the other night in the hotel, see, it was it was easy to preach there because God kept me free from from the assault. But it's very challenging, very provo provocative the message that I brought the other night. But afterwards, when the anointing left on me, and I went home, my flesh quivered, you know, just like, like I was, my whole body was in spasms, uh, vex, vexing spirits was tormenting my flesh. Well, I never got any help till, the, till tonight, and I finally told I, I was almost couldn't make it tonight. I said, at the dinner table, I had the family get around and pray for me, because I had fought that on my own long enough, you know, you, I'm always trying to stretch my faith, but God has designed it that I'm not a success alone. And that's what preachers get caught in a trap. Man, we're the men of faith. When really, the body must ha be faith. Does that make sense? So I was prayed for. Now, so you're going to have to grow up in discerning of spirits. And, I, and you, you can't teach discerning of spirits by words. I can teach you a lot about it. But that's a revelation gift of the Holy Spirit that you must learn. And so you need to be around somebody that does discern spirits. And then also you have to find a way where you could share what you sense or perceive or discern that you might discern how it works. And now if I come in front of somebody and they're rebellious, rebellion is in them, I have, I have a horrible reaction of rebellion in me. Does that make sense? Or if I have come in front of somebody that's lustful, I have a horrible reaction of somebody lustful in me. Now, or if I have, if, if somebody is, has got a spirit that they have itching ears, I'll get a physical symptom of my ears itching. Does that make sense? So uh, they stand in front of me and I know here's a person that's got a spirit that is controlling them to have itching ears. Does that make sense? And uh, so I got a lot of things going for me. Not only, and then I have visions. I'm seeing what I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the spirit world. And I'm hearing the spirit world. And then I have symptomatic signs. Like if this thumb becomes anointed, I know that I've got an apostle of God in front of me. And depend upon whether the degree of pain or the degree of anointing will depend upon the quality of anointing of an apostle I got in front of me. The next finger is a prophet, evangelist, and pastor and teacher. And when I, if I have a pain in this hand, then I know that the cross has 
they haven't met the cross, and the cross wants to be need to be wrought in their life. If I have an anointing in this hand, I know that, that they have met the cross, and God has sanctified them. If I have a pain in this hand, I know that I've got an alcoholic in front of me. If I have an anointing upon this thumb, I'm, I'm dealing with, depending on what's going on in that thumb of sensations, physical sensations, determines then exactly what's happening to that father, or the mother, or the children. Does that make sense? Or if I have a sharp pain across my wrist, you see, just like that, you take an axe, I know that the hand of God has been cut off of that person. See, so and, and so I got all kinds of things going for me when I prophesy or when people stand before me and I officially stand as God's vessel. I have visions, I'm seeing what I'm prophesying. I have physical sensations or symptoms in my body is confirming what's going on. And also I'm having emotional reactions of what is in them, whether rebellious or whether hostile, whether hateful whether critical, whether proud or arrogant, all these things are going on in my emotions. Does that make sense? And that's the way you develop in discerning a spirit. But when you try the spirits, you interrogate them. You strike up a conversation with them. Now, I hear a lot of people, I hear a lot of preachers say, well, I don't believe in talking to the devil. But the word try is, uh, let us try the spirits. The word try is that you interrogate the spirits. You, you, you see, and then by asking questions, how are you going to try the spirits? You can't try spirit until you wear a, where a spirit was talking to you. See, now, if I'd have went down there, I'd have, I don't know what I'd done. I'd had to look for the Lord to lead me how to approach that woman screaming on the floor. I might have struck up a conversation with them devils and, and, and tricked them because you can trick them by questions. Does that make sense? So there's so many things for us to learn. Now, I noticed here in the meeting tonight that some of you had entered into a meditative state. Do you realize that if I hadn't stood up, we could have went into that and remained in that? Because the action or the working of meditation is always greater corporately than it is singularly. Because something about God's force and power on you is doubled with God's force and power up in you, and there's an exchange or a commingling. Then three of you, it's tripled. Four of you, it's quadrupled. Five of you, it's quintupled, uh, sextupled, septupled, and octupled, or whatever you want to say. See, so there's times that maybe we'll, we should maybe plan together to just have a meditation meeting. I want you to, I want to get you together with me and for you will play your, when you strum your guitar for 15 minutes and I'm going to put it into a 60 minute tape because I can reproduce it. And that lady that played the piano the other night, the way she was twirling, see, if you use music for background, you don't want anything with a beat in it. You don't want anything with a lot of highs and lows and softness and loudness. You want something that is melodious and even. Does that make sense? And so these are all aids. Now, I don't know how far I've got here. My gracious sake, uh, I've preached an hour and 20 minutes and I haven't said anything yet. Now, because I've, I've got out of the serious things, I've kind of got into just teaching some of the prophetic or the prophets things that you've got to learn. See, now, God will not be all discernment of spirits in me, but see, neither will he in you. In some things, you and I will be identical in discernment. 
other things we will be dissimilar other things we will be uh, extremely better but together if there's five of us that's discerning we're five times more accurate than when there's one does it make sense this is why he's given to every man severally as he wills and the gift and and he says in in first corinthians uh, 12 uh, just But to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, or for the profit of all. So, you see, you have gifts of the Spirit that you must develop in. And every gift you develop into a ministry of that. You have gifts, and you have callings. Now, the callings are the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, elders, and deacons, and governments, and helps. Then the gifts are the nine gifts of the Spirit. And he gives to every one of you severally as he wills. Therefore, this is why it's necessary for an apostolic minister to come along to equip you, to prophesy to you, to identify your gifts and your calling. It does not mean that you're being ordained to it. I was in the great faith town of Tulsa, and one of the big charismatic leaders there in, in the group, Brother Mel Bailey, was teaching uh, church history there. And so he wanted me to share with him 15 minutes in one of his classes. And boy, when I got up, the class, the, the presence of God filled the room with a glory that hadn't been there while he was teaching. And everybody, you could, you could, you could almost catch him holding their breath, just weighing every word that I said. They got so excited about that that they wanted to have three or four days with me. I made a mistake because I demonstrated what I'd been teaching by prophesying over somebody. And some of the leaders thought I was ordaining them to the ministry. So here is leaders that don't know enough about ordination and the manifestations of the gifts, but in, in lack of understanding, they close the door for them, hundreds of people, to not hear me. Isn't that amazing? So uh, that's just the way it goes. We, but I'm aware we don't know nothing yet. This is why you've got things, I hope someday, you might be surprised that you can teach me things. You can teach me things, and you can teach me things, and you can teach me things. It may be just one little statement. You may think it's inconsequential, but to me, it might be one of the most powerful things that I would learn. Because while you're saying something, I'll hear something far beyond what you're saying. Does that make sense? Because I've learned to train my spiritual ears by listening, and that's through the action of meditation. I've learned to train my spiritual eyes to see by looking from my inner man at Jesus. Does that make sense? Taking time to do this. This is why when I prophesied to this man over here the other night at the hotel, I didn't know beans about him, except that he used to be a Catholic. But the, the words that came to him prophetically were profound. He, he's not going to be very well liked by a lot of people probably isn't now. Now, some of you I haven't prophesied to, and I forgot to bring my tape recorder again tonight. You promised you were going to do me tonight. <laughs> Did I promise you I was going to do you tonight? Huh? If you want one, I know where there is. Yeah, why don't you go get one? But you follow what I'm saying? Let's say that I'm right, that we have one year to come to perfection. People hear me say that, well, I'll never make it. 
Well, if there is going to be a people that is going to be perfect, then He's going to help you. And I want you to understand, it's not a lifetime of learning, it's not a year of learning. It's a moment of breakthrough in intimacy. That's all it takes. And I really believe the things that I'm going to teach on meditation is going to be part of that. Now, I'm with you so little, I don't know what to do for you. I may bring, I've got 17 teachings on meditation. I've spent 120 to 140 hours alone with God just getting those teachings in the last two weeks. Things that I've never taught. Things that I've never heard. I probably maybe ought to make, make them up and let you have them. You can make a donation for them, whatever you want, to help me cover the costs. Maybe tomorrow night, would that be all right? Because I preach less to you people than I do any place in America. Yet my heart is here. I'm here by the will of God, and I know why I'm here by the will of God. And yet this is the most closed place there is to me. Will you start praying that binding the powers that divide the brethren from me? Uh, because there has to be more in this city than you that must hear the message. And all the leadership in the, and, and, and of course, one that I highly recommend if you don't have a home church is Pastor Jim Lucian because uh, he's a profound man, a young man. I hope in the Feast of Tabernacles they get ordained as a commission as an apostle. But you see, in all these things, here you are tonight listening to some guy talk to you about scary things, about wonderful things. But most of all, I hope that you're getting the invitation. I hope the Holy Spirit is dealing with you inside, where you can hear that upward call to that high calling, to that becoming the prize. Are you hearing that? It'll be the most joyful, painful thing that ever happened to you. If God's grace is good to me, I'd like to live my life into the kingdom. If not, I want to leave enough in the earth. You push those two down if you want to okay. do it, and then just speak in there. Okay. I test that it works. You got a tape in there? Yeah. All right. If, is, are you listening to what I'm saying? Please pray for me. I really believe that I've really been pressed.